Drilling fluids touch just about everything in the drilling process. We're here to deconstruct the drilling process and drilling fluid concepts to provide a deeper understanding of our industry. In each episode, we'll share information, talk to interesting people, and maybe share a few stories along the way. Welcome to The Flow Line, a production of AES Drilling Fluids, brought to you by Matt Offenbacher and Justin Gautier. And we're back. Welcome to another episode of The Flow Line. Matt, how are you doing this lovely day? Not too bad, but man, it's getting chilly. It is, yeah. The These Houston winters are coming upon us and, uh, you know, wearing the jackets, all the stuff's coming out of the closet. I haven't quite do- dove into the Canadian uh, winter gear yet. Hopefully I don't have to, but I'm actually... Funny enough, a few years ago, I think two years ago, it snowed and we ended up uh, actually building a snowman in the backyard with my daughter. And so we pulled out the gloves and we had a bit of a winter wonderland for about three hours until it heated up enough for it to all melt. But we built a snowman in Houston. So that was pretty cool. Yeah. About every 10 years you get one of those in. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Well, uh, I thought we'd dive into uh, cementing operations and more specifically cement displacements. What do you think? Uh, I think it's good. You know, it's, it's so important just because... Well, I think any mud engineer knows if you have a bad cement job, not only is it a nightmare on the rig, but the first place they go is they say, the mud screwed up my cement job. And yeah, then we have to figure out what was going on and explain ourselves. Yeah. Well, it, and it, it happens, you know, and as mud engineers, uh, you work a rotation and a lot of times you don't always catch the cement jobs, but I mean, ultimately you're having a minimum of two to three cement jobs a well, and especially if you have different fluid systems. A lot of it is logistics uh, and volume management and uh, just the importance of understanding, you know, what's happening down hole and, and, you know, the cause and effect for certain things. So uh, I think we could dive into that. So Matt, why don't we start off kind of describing and uh, explaining what cement displacements actually are? So it's basically the transition. I've drilled my well or I've drilled my interval. I'm going to, I want to isolate it. So I'll run my casing. Um, that casing has typically some equipment, float equipment, um, kind of one-way valve. Um, and when we get on bottom, we're going to pump a, a usually a, a cleaning spacer to actually remove the mud residue mm-hmm. so that I get really good contact because the cement, I'm going to pump the cement right after that, and it's going to go up the backside and hopefully make it all the way up to the top or wherever we want it to be um, and set up. And we isolate that. But that that transition is actually the mud's got to get out of the way, right? And so there's some things we can do. And then there are some things on the kind of the handshake where mud engineers are partly responsible or with a little bit of knowledge could contribute to the operation where um, sometimes, you know, we, we, we miss out on a, a chance to maybe add some value or, or point out some things. I got you. So let's talk a little bit about, uh, you know, the spacer in itself. Is that something that we do on the mud side or does that generally come from the cement company? It typically comes from the cement company. uh, And and the reason is they typically kind of have ownership at that point, but it goes back to, we need to be able to provide a representative mud sample for them to do their testing. Uh, Typically there's a little bit of kind of confusion, make sure everybody understands if there's a change um, on really critical wells for cement jobs, one, one of the big reluctance uh, issues I get from customers is, uh, uh, you know, back in the day, big deep water jobs, and we're saying, hey, we got a new mud system we want to try out. They say, look, do you understand? I've got to go to my cementers and rerun all that testing. I've got to do all these other things. Like, I love what you're trying to do, but not right now. Right. Um, it, not on this well, at least. 
Makes sense. Um, so there, there's that upfront planning. And, and even on land, there's the basic lab testing. Uh, the API has, has some guidelines on the lab testing that's required. So you send your samples. They adjust their, their chemistry. And um, it can be pretty basic. You know, water-based mud is aqueous. And so cement is aqueous. And mm-hmm. so that's a, a much more straightforward transition. Right. We know oil-based mud and water don't like each other or um, they tend to get very thick and nasty. And so you need a spacer to help with that transition. And it requires a bit more sophistication and aggression to make sure that everything's water wet. Um, so that that's those spacers uh, can be very, very basic on the poor boy side of things. It could just be some water. Right. Um, and then on the oil-based mud side of things, you typically need a solvent surfactant package. So you actually want to break the emulsion. You want to water wet everything. Um, and, and so, uh, when you, when you chase that, that it's between your cement and your oil-based mud, mm-hmm. uh, it's basically preventing those two from mixing, hence the name spacer. Right. But it's also, um, providing that water wetting. So when the cement follows, it gets really good contact with the casing and the formation. Right. And, and for us as mud engineers, it's important to be able to identify that spacer coming back and then sort of. You know, and on the oil base side, uh, you know, because every barrel costs, you know, a, a pretty significant amount. So making sure you're capturing that and, and, and not getting any of that sort of commingled within your system because it takes a, quite a bit to treat. Um, <clears throat> but kind of going back to, you know, talking about the spacers uh, and, and just, you know, because obviously at some point the mud is going to come into contact with the cement. Um, how important is compatibility and what do we do uh, sort of to prepare ourselves to make sure that fluids and the cement that the operator plans is compatible? So on the, I mean, on the contamination side, when we talk about cement contamination, for example, you know, a lot of that we encounter when we drill out, right? If, if this, especially mm-hmm. if the cement's green and not set and it's water-based mud, um, you know, it can cause some, some cross-linking um, because you got all this calcium, got a very high pH, so it'll tear up polymers, that sort of thing. And so, um, you know, the old citric bicarb um, pre-treat is, is a good one to go by. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I, I think one thing I want to jump back to, though, is, is even understanding when to divert uh, is really important. On the oil-based mud side of things, it's the spacers designed to tear up oil-based mud. Right. And if you divert it back into your pits, you've just torn up your oil-based mud. Yeah. And we've, uh, we've seen stories of entire mud systems having to be swapped out. Um, because the spacer there there was too much interface yeah and it, it got diverted back right on the water-based mud side of things it just kind of messes things up you know it dilutes everything more or less of course um but that's why being on the pits i think that's why everybody gets so nervous around a cement job we've got all these volumes to move around and we've got to time it right and everybody's got to be in communication yeah yeah no i i remember you know a lot of times i would be pretty conservative as a mud engineer and and you know, a lot of times folks be like, oh, you, you know, you can take on, you know, 10, 15, 20 barrels of spacer and it's not going to affect the mud. But, you know, realizing how much money it costs to actually treat that back to where you need it to be. So, you know, it's just kind of being mindful of like, you know, how much am I willing to, to uh, you know, to assume before it ended up costing too much? You might as well dump anything that even remotely looks like it. And so, again, that it, displacements are, are kind of tricky, especially at night. You know, it's, because everybody knows that cement jobs happen in the middle of the night, so it's dark and you're you know you're tired. You mud engineers have been standing out there for you know, areas where it's from four to six to eight hours, and so uh, it's yeah, it's just understanding and, and really communicating with the rig hands, uh, more so the driller, you know, coming man and understanding the strokes and when to expect a lot of that stuff coming back. Because 
you know, it can be, you stand out there for six hours, not doing anything. And then all of a sudden within, you know, a 15 or 20 minute period, people are running around swapping valves. And, you know, if you get tanks filling up, you got to figure out, you know, where do we put all this? And so it it can be, it's like the calm before the storm. And so you got to be, you know, more than prepared. Uh, Uh, And to that point, one of the most important rules of thumb on a displacement is never stop pumping. Exactly. And because of that, it's not, oh, shoot. This tank filled up. Let's let's all have a meeting on the rig floor and talk about where we're going to go next. It's <laughs> yeah. It it is. Th- this is why you have to plan ahead. You've got to know where you're going to go next. You've got to know if you're surprised where you're going to go for the, on that contingency. Yeah. Um. And so it's it can be pretty intense. Yeah, it can. And and not uh, you know and just talking about displacements in general. Uh, where I got most of my, you know, experience with doing displacements and and really understanding, you know, making sure I had a plan, you know, B, C, D, and E was doing open hole displacements offshore. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you've got, you know, thousands and thousands of feet going from, uh, you know, water base to oil base or even oil base, sometimes even back to water base, uh, it's it's realizing, you know, what when it's coming back and and having enough dang volume because mm-hmm. if that stuff starts to commingle and you get a lot of interface. Um, it's, it's literally not like, you know, you, you get within 10 strokes, all of a sudden it's a going from one single fluid to another, you may have, you know, 50, 80, hundred barrels of interface that you weren't expecting. And so you can't put it in one tank cause it's going to mess up something. You can't put it in another one cause it's going to mess something up. So it's like, you need to figure out if you got enough, you know, tank capacity to be able to handle that without getting it, uh, you into something that you don't really want to put it into. So, but anyway, kind of enough about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's talk a little bit ab- about channeling. I mean, that's kind of what I'm referring to. I mean, how does that happen? I mean, because you think, you know, uh, cement normally has a really high density compared to the fluid. So how does that actually happen then? You know, if, how does that interface actually, you know, happen? So uh, a lot of it can be, I mean, it could be even tortuosity of the wellbore, right? It could just be, I don't have a clear enough path. I have a little bit of a low spot and the cement passes right over. Um, but a, a lot of times it's an incompatibility. So it, it could be that oil-based mud, you don't have a good spacer and that oil-based mud does come in contact with some cement or the spa- or actually interacts with a spacer and becomes extremely thick. Mm. And then you've got this sludge material that's very viscous and resistant to flow and the cement passes right over it. And now I have this path where I don't have, I have a void where there's no cement and just fluid. And, you know, obviously there's pressure can pass along that. Um, you don't have the isolation you wanted. Um, and so that can be a, a pretty big problem. And, and like any of these, I mean, it's like hole cleaning. Uh, you know how much better hole cleaning gets when you're rotating the pipe. Mm-hmm. Um, in s- some cases, I mean, it's, it's a lot, there's a lot better equipment now, but if you can't rotate your, uh, and reciprocate your casing, um, you know, you've, you've got some limitations as far as, you know, don't assume this perfectly round wellbore all the way across. You've got these <laughs> yeah. void spaces that it's easy to pass over. Yeah. Um, so, and, and think about the horizontal too, right? Or, or the build section where, yeah, it's heavy, but that just means it wants to sink to the bottom. Um, and so you could have void spaces on top. Right. Um, you know, thankfully in the production zone, granted, of course, we always want a good cement job, but in a production interval, at least in unconventionals, a lot of the time you're fairly well isolated up above and so you know you're gonna frack it you just need some zones isolated so that the fracks go up and not along the backside of the casing mm-hmm. um so uh you know channeling's a, a pretty common phenomenon and what they call displacement efficiency is something that the cementers can model uh with their 
design software and that sort of thing. Um, it remains to be seen how good it is. I've actually done a little bit of spacer design, and um, a lot of it is is not very sophisticated. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess we probably don't have any cementers who are listening right now, anyways. <laughs> but <laughs> right. uh, you know, hopefully they don't take too much offense. But but what you see is um, it, it's basically mix half my spacer, half the mud. Mix seventy five twenty five. Mix you know ten ninety. And take the rheologies. And if you see a big jump, it fails. Change your formulation. Mm. Um, but a lot of that stuff is so wonky where if you let it sit for longer, you're more likely to fail the test. But if you mix it right away, it passes. Gotcha. And so um, I don't know who decided that that was good enough, but um, uh, apparently the API is cool with it. Yeah, no um, kidding. Well, uh, something else that can happen during a cement displacement, and, and hopefully not many people have experienced this, but it happens, and, and it's when your cement flash sets. Uh, describe that phenomenon. Well, it's kind of exactly what it sounds like. Uh, the cement sets up a lot earlier than you expected, as in while you're pumping it. Yeah. Um, and bear in mind, so there are, there are things called retarders and accelerators that are supposed to help you know, accelerate or slow down the setting of cement. And, but a lot of that stuff's pretty basic chemicals. It's salt. It's some of these other things. And so you could have, so, so some, one of the things I remember is we were testing uh, some kind of brine based fluid. It was a little exotic. We were trying to get rid of it and they tested it for cementing. We were going to try and drill with it so we could use it up mm-hmm. and they tested it for cementing. And the, the cementers were like, this stuff will flash set in a heartbeat. If you use this, wow. and I was like, Oh, all right. Yeah. Um, but what we've, but what we've found is, you know, certainly there are plenty of cases where it could be that they did something wrong in the formulation. It could be, um, we get a lot of these where flash sets and the cementers say, Oh, there's something different in your mud. And, um, a lot of times it's basic oil-based mud. There's, it's, it's a nice reach, but it's probably, probably isn't us this time. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you have to go back and look and say, okay, well, what was different? What happened? Um, and so, um, I, I don't know. It's, it's one of those, it's such a nightmare, such a mess on the rig when it happens, because yeah. usually you've pumped this, you may only cement the inside of the casing. Mm. Uh, and then you've got to drill all that out. You've got, you've got, um, a section that is not isolated. Um, I mean, I'm sure you've encountered this yourself, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, it's funny you mentioned actually recently, uh, you know, with uh, one of our customers, you know, they had some challenges with regards to, uh, you know, the production interval and, and the cement job. And uh, without getting into the details, yeah, you know, it, everything flash set. They lost the entire lateral. Um, they couldn't, it, it got to a point where they couldn't pull the casing. So what ended up happening ultimately is, is they, uh, you know, we moved on to another well, came back to it, had to go in, cut the casing at the shoe, at the intermediate shoe, pull it, uh, you know, drill out like a few thousand feet of cement. They had to do a bunch of stim tests to send, you know, a bunch of science basically mm-hmm. for, you know, the, uh, and this was in, um, you know, an area where the, you know, the, in New Mexico where everything is very strict, they had to prove a bunch of stuff. So anyway, long story short, we sidetracked, you know, they had to cut the, cut a window, um, it took forever and it, it literally jumped their AFE, like just through the roof. And so, um, but you know, the, the reservoir and the rock that, that they were trying to get into was extremely important to them. And, and, you know, instead of just abandoning it, they figured, you know, we better drill this lateral. 
Um, but yeah, it, it, uh, it, it was a huge deal for months. I mean, every day there was discussions about it. It took up a lot of resources, um, man hours, and just there was high risk involved with going in, doing a sidetrack, and then, you know, re-cementing, uh, you know, that interval. So anyway, yeah, it, it, it can cause a lot of grief. And so um, proper planning is, is the utmost important and, and making sure you're doing your due diligence with regards to tests and, and all that sort of preliminary work for sure. Yeah. And, and I think the other thing, uh, you know, that, that can be often overlooked is, is even just conditioning the mud. Um, uh, the trap we always run into as, as mud engineers is we're drilling ahead we're near TD. The low grabs have started to creep up a little bit. They don't want to treat anything because we're about done drilling, right? Um, and so we have this mud that's got very high shells. It's got a fairly high plastic viscosity. It's, it's not as Cadillac as it could be. Mm-hmm. And this fluid doesn't have great flow properties. And now I want to displace it. Yeah. Um, and so I, um, you find yourself trying to displace it. Um, these progressive gels, that sort of thing, the mud is more, more or less thicker, um, and the cement may pass right over it. Right. Um, and, and so, uh, you know, there's certain things we can do. One, obviously keep the mud in shape, um, with respect to treatment, uh, with like thinners and that sort of thing. There were the, the quandary or the trap I always ran into was we'd, we'd commit to running a thinner, which is really a powerful wetting agent. So it, it provides a little bit of help beyond what your typical wetting agent does. Yeah. Um, and what would happen is you need to add that with a little bit of base oil. And you also want to keep all this stuff going through the bit and you don't want to just add it at TD because you don't get it through in a good, you know, continuous circulation. And so then you go run casing at a really slow rate and there's a good chance you could have some sag or settling. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can shoot yourself in the foot going the wrong way on this just as much as letting it go as we tend to can be a problem. Yeah. Um, and so in that particular case, we worked with the customer to acknowledge, okay, we need these properties. And if, if we're 500 feet from TD, we're going to start making adjustments. Yeah. Um, and, and then we knew when we were doing all our circulations and, you know, uh, cleanup cycles, the mud was in good shape and we weren't shocking it with a bunch of stuff that could... Um, destabilize it of course yeah something actually that that i remember back when uh, working in canada and it's not very common down here and i don't remember the details to exactly but it was always common practice that uh you know you'd run your casing and then right before you go to cement you'd actually throw a few sacks at desco and again on the water-based side of things you, mm-hmm. you would thin your thin your fluid you would vis it up for your casing and logging runs but then you would mm-hmm. thin it right back for your cement jobs and it was always just standard like mm-hmm. it was, and, and so when i came down here you know kind of applying that concept to people uh they kind of would look at me funny and say no nah, i mean we're, we're good where we're at uh so i guess you know but the idea there is is thinning the fluid back enough to be able to get a better cement job um so again it's you know there's there's things out there that you can do uh right before running it to i guess improve you know in hopes to improve the performance of the cement dis- displacement yeah, I mean, I mean, and and I think there's one of those. The question always is, that, you know, this is where hydraulics on the drilling side, like we can check circulating casing on bottom and kind of see where yep. we're at. Um, but it, it it is the question of, okay, I start circulating, my casing is on bottom. Um, if I'm all the way on bottom and I'm starting to circulate, I've probably kind of missed the boat of where it it may have a, a significant impact. Sure, but on the you know on the casing running side, um, 
you know, that conditioning is pretty significant and it can be, you know, it could be as much as before a cement job, you get casing on bottom and just circulate a little bit, warm up the mud, get it homogenous. It's been sitting static for a while. Mm -hmm. Um, Try and kick up those low spots a little bit. Um, And of course, if you can rotate and do all those things, do it. Yeah. Um, And then you can, you can, you know, pump your spacer and cement. Sure thing. Uh, I want to take a bit of a pivot here, uh, talking about just the amount of cement that that gets pumped, and it's a, this is a term that we hear quite a bit. Is and engineers, they it's funny, it's almost like a, uh, you know being a little bit more in the in the operator's office as of recent. Uh, it, it's kind of a a joke and some just friendly competition about um, making sure the amount of excess cement, the percentage is is accurate, and uh, you know how much cement you get back to surface, and so. You know, there was a joke for a while. You know, we were taking uh, quite a bit of losses, and so you know, engineers, oh, I'll go two hundred percent excess, and then all of a sudden we got, I think, more cement on surface than we did down hole, and so then you know, people are jabbing at each other, and and it, and it can get a little comical, uh, certainly in the office, but at the rig site, it can be a mess. And so, why don't you talk a little bit about excess cement? So, uh, this is why we sell sugar, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, think about it. You're already going through this nightmare of pit management and everything. And then you're at the flow line and you've got all this cement coming back. <laughs> what do I do with it? And how much is coming back? You, you don't really know. And, you <laughs> yeah. know, those loss zones are the worst because you're pumping it, guessing, trying to sort of calibrate for what you're used to and still get cement to surface. Mm-hmm. But then, um, you know, I've been in, in situations where, uh, we've had, uh, we're, we're just cal- calculating for washout, right? What yep. we had was, it was about a 9,000 foot, 12 and a quarter, uh, interval. Um, and we were used to ha- calculating a certain amount of washout for much shorter intervals. And so they just sort of extrapolated that out. Well, turns out that wasn't true. Cause they were hitting a couple other formations that were <laughs> less prone to washout. Yeah. Um, and, uh, we would always ask our mud engineers, please put what the top of cement was on right. the mud reports. Yeah. And checked the report in the morning, and it said top of cement, two meters above active one. <laughs> <laughs> that's so, a little too much. Yeah, it, yeah. For anyone out there, that's not a good thing. Yeah, you don't want the top of cement to be uh, above your pits. Yeah. Well, uh, Matt, not to cut you off, but you mentioned sugar. And, and describe what sugar does to cement, actually. Because it's funny. It's, it's something they use all the time to uh-huh. you know, flush the stack, and they'll even throw lignite in there oftentimes. But just uh-huh. you know, explain sort of the chemistry, if you can, behind sugar and how that affects cement. I mean, I honestly, I've never really thought about it. Okay. Um, I mean, not, maybe not know, chemistry, but what does it do to cement? I mean, it, it retards it. It keeps it from setting up. Right. Um, and, and that's why it's it's always good to have some on hand when you're doing a cement job. And, and it, this is a communication thing, too. What happens is the cementer is, a lot of times, they just assume the cementer is going to bring it out. Right. And sometimes the cementer will come to us last minute and say, hey, can you all get us some sugar? Because we don't have any. Mm-hmm. And it's like. I mean, I bet I can, but I was worried about all this other stuff right now. Yeah. Um, and, and so... Uh, <laughs> it's funny. that That's, again, you know, horror stories. But being in Pennsylvania as a mud engineer, uh, it was kind of when I first broke out. And this was something I hadn't heard of. And all of a sudden, you know, I get this frantic phone call about running to town. To, and fortunately, we were pretty close to get sugar. And I thought, you know, of course, in the oil field, everyone's trying to mess with you. Mm-hmm. And so I, I just kind of laughed it off and, and the coming man said, no, like we need you to run and get like a wheelbarrow full of sugar if you can. And, uh, we were doing, it was during the cement job. Obviously there was a miscommunication. 
I just, the whole time I was driving, I just thought they are going to laugh hysterically when I come into location with a bunch of sugar. And sure enough, we ended up using it, but it was one of those, I was just being prepared, you know, to be, you know, new mud engineer asking some, you know, off the wall request. I just figured I'd be the lacking st- laughing stock of the uh, of the you know of the location, but it turned out it actually helped them out. So it's it's not it's a real thing. Yeah, sugar. There is a demand for sugar on the rig. Yeah, <laughs> not just for your coffee. So yeah, that's and that's an interesting communication point. Yeah, yeah, something simple, right? Uh, another another sort of word or uh, you know things that we hear as mud engineers but may not fully understand it uh, is the term lift pressure. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you describe what that is and how that uh, affects a cement job? Well, it doesn't really affect the cement job, but uh, but uh, let's say, uh, well, okay, it does and it doesn't. It, it affects how we know how well the cement job went. Fair enough. Um, so it's a metric where we want to know where the top of cement is. And, and guess what? We don't always need cement to surface, right? We need to isolate certain zones. And if we don't have losses, like, you know, barrel in, barrel out, we have a pretty good idea that we covered up the, the critical zone and we don't cement all the way up to surface. Uh, but one of the ways to calculate that is, you know, especially in a, a, a vertical application is what is the pressure it took to basically lift up the cement up the backside, right? So you have that YouTube mm. pressure, right? And it's, it's basically that calculation to say, okay, we think we got our top of cement up to here based upon the back pressure before, you know, we bumped the plug, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, it's just another benchmark. When, you know, unless you actually run a log and check, you don't always know exactly how things look. Sure. Um, And people do run logs periodically, but they don't do it all the time. Uh, You know, typically only when the situation demands it, Mm -hmm. just because there's time and cost involved. Makes sense. Yeah. So, you know, most of the time, cement jobs go relatively smooth, but there is a time where if you're, you know, in a situation where you've got some... uh, unconsolidated formations or uh, areas are susceptible to losses that can often happen during a cement job. So why don't we talk a little bit about that and, and what we can do uh, as preventative measures along with, you know, if it's something that happens unexpectedly at that point, uh, what do we do and what are some of the remediation uh, things that we do on the rig? So, I mean, the problem with losses, you know, one, we don't know where the cement went. It, it may have gone up high enough that we actually get the isolation we need. It's just we lost a fair amount of it into a fracture of some kind that we induced. Yeah. Um, I think on the drilling side, one of the things that uh, I would always do when I was, when I was a project engineer was um, if we had losses while drilling and, you know, sure, maybe we treated them up, I would try and find out what our ECD was at that point in time and try and see if we could run casing and cement um below that ecd Mm. and usually the answer was no but at the very least i could um characterize all right we have some limits here um and manage some expectations and make sure we have enough mud that if we're on law we should expect losses during the cement job yeah make sure we have enough on location to keep the hole full right um so losses are uh you know there are things you can do on the on the front end Sometimes people will put material in the cement itself. Um, actually, re- something that I found out that I didn't know after years is, is actually putting sodium silicate in cement. That's mm-hmm. what one of my customers is doing, and I didn't realize apparently that helps with losses. So, well, what's what's interesting with some of these with like silicate, um, you can you can pump that in a spacer ahead, or, or you can do some other tricks. But 
um, you know, we know silicates more or less turn the turn the formation to glass, right? They, they're yeah. so intensely reactive. And so um, if you if you had like a, a a clay gunk material with with that in it and it gets lost to the formation and encounters water, which it inevitably will, mm-hmm. it'll lock up on you. Gotcha. Um, and so the key is pumping that correctly so it doesn't interact with any water leading up to that. Right. But um, there are there are certain tricks you can do. Um, you know, and, and a lot of those require some, some knowledge and some engineering. Um, and you have to kind of ex- be planning for the worst at, at that point. Of course. Um, but trying any of those things is much better than, okay, we lost a whole bunch. Where did our cement actually go? Um, and the remediation side of things where, you know, you perforate and squeeze cement behind and hopefully get good isolation yep. or, you know, have to run a, a scab liner or some kind something to, to, or not a, a scab liner, but, um, uh, uh, extra tools to remediate, um, the cement job. Gotcha. Um, so there's, there's just different, um, different expensive options right um you know and and if you're engineering around it and you expect it you know there there are things you can do um there are you can nitrify cement which a lot there's questions on reliability with that um you know i know some cementers are very reluctant to use it um you could put uh glass bead hollow glass spheres in it to lighten up the cement yeah i've heard of that there's some other options they're expensive so there's most of the time, people just want to go with regular straight up cement. Yeah. Um, a liner, uh, instead of running a full string of casing, um, reduces the, the friction pressure. Um, um, okay. And the other thing is, you know, if you, if you run a liner and cement it, uh, the hanger can provide isolation too, right? So makes sense. It, it provides a little bit of a, a fallback. It's just a lot of those hanger assemblies that do that are quite expensive. So, um, you know, a lot of folks are, reluctant to run them unless they make the most sense for other reasons yeah and something that you know we've had success with uh, in certain areas is if you know you're drilling a section that you that you've experienced losses in is actually spotting uh something before you come out to run casing and letting it soak uh you know we had a kind of a success story recently with doing that um just spotting a very highly concentrated lcm pill and they ended up running casing it, it was on a pad and you know they ran casing the first i think two wells you know, as soon as we started running casing with that uh, surge pressure, you know, we lost it, never saw returns, ended up having to do a two-stage cement job, which in that area they do almost every time anyway. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, it was, it was a huge win for us. They ended up, you know, running pipe and, um, you know, they, they, I think we started seeing losses close to intermediate casing point. So we pretty much got through the whole well and then started seeing it towards the end. And uh, ultimately ended up, uh, you know, getting full returns during the cement job and actually only had to do a one one stage they didn't have to open the dv tool and do their second stage so um it wasn't a mass savings in cost but uh it was you know it was still certainly a win and and the operator was very pleased and it was you know due to the fact that we had sort of come up with a good recipe to spot before running pipe and and yeah and so there there are things on the mud side that, that you can certainly do to you know in hopes that you can eliminate the that cause for concern and and if it works and great and if not then at least, you know, you, you've given a solid recommendation and host that it, you know, to help save the operator some money. Sure. And, uh, you know, and, and those are things, an LCM pill all in all is relatively inexpensive compared to dealing with cement remediation and that sort of thing. Oh, so big time. It's, they're definitely worth giving a shot. And, um, 
you know, there's and and bear in mind, you know, big picture here, bad cement jobs are extremely costly, extremely risky, yeah. um, and there's a ton of liability associated with it, which I think is why sometimes maybe it's harder to communicate with cementers than it should be. Um, just because you want to make sure there's a clear line of ownership when a decision's made. And so if you start telling them what to do, um, you know, they, then they say, well, Hey, you know, what, are you running the cement? Like (laughs) I get in trouble for this. So I'm going to get, I've got to do this my way. Of course. Um, but if if you can find some guys who are, uh, you know, I've worked with some great, great people in the past who we sat side by side, ran hydraulics, kind of talked shop and, and, uh, we're able to nail it down for the customer. Cool. <clears throat> well, that's uh, about thirty-five minutes of, of mud cement talk. So uh, I'm not uh, I'm not sure I've got any more questions or comments. Matt, any closing last words for all, all the folks listening out there? No, I mean uh, I, I think this is just kind of an interesting one because it's one of those handshakes we always kind of who's in charge, and the question the answer is always it depends. Yeah, but there. There's always more you can do, right? So I, I think For this sure. is one I learned a lot as a mud engineer. I could, I could be more active in this area. So Cool. Awesome. Well, folks, if you have any questions or thoughts, please hit us up either on LinkedIn or flowlinepodcast at aesfluids.com. Uh, please leave a review, share it, like it, um, and just anything you can do to help spread the word. We're really just trying to share good information for everyone out there and help educate the industry. Uh, So with that, thanks again. Talk to you later. Bye. Thanks for listening. Please tune in next week for another exciting episode of The Flow Line. And remember, may your returns always be full and your trips always smooth. Views expressed in this program belong to participants and not their employees. The program is for informational purposes only and cannot take the place of seeking professional advice. Copyright AES Drilling Fluids.